G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Perry and Cherie Trotter are with us. They are our guests. They're the founders of what is called Shadows of Shoah. Now, Shadows of Shoah is an artistic project communicating the gravity and the significance of the Holocaust in a unique way. Now, this exhibition was developed by Perry who's also a director of Shadows of Shoah, he felt for uh, for all the documentation and research on the Holocaust, the human face was missing and that a shadow is cast upon Jewish people when the Shoah is discussed. And when we say Shoah, we're talking about the Holocaust. Well, as a non-Jew... Perry understands that he's approaching this subject as an outsider, somewhat as an intruder, so he treads carefully with the respect to ensure that each survivor's story is faithfully conveyed. So it's an interesting perspective to come from as we open our special uh, open our uh, conversation with our special guests. A special welcome to you, Perry. Thank you. Very pleased to be here. And to you, Cherie. Welcome along. Uh, let's start with you, Perry. Uh, you've been travelling now uh, around Queensland. So you went to North Queensland, where in Cairns you showed your exhibition, and then you showed your exhibition, of course, in Brisbane as well. And just give me a quick insight into the sorts of reactions you had when people went into your artistic exhibition that was uh, showing these things uh, to do with the Holocaust. Well, quite consistently, we have a very strong, positive reaction to the work that we've done. The The issue of the Holocaust, as you've mentioned in the introduction, for many people has just been reduced to a statistic. When you speak of hundreds of thousands or millions, it's very easy to lose the faces or to lose the reality that each of these victims was a son, a daughter, a father, a mother, a cousin. And some of the friends that I have, as a result of this work, they have lost every member of their family in the Holocaust. For example, in Poland in the uh, 30s, there were that was the world's largest Jewish community. There were about 3 million, over 3 million people, 3 million Jews living in Poland. Around 90% of them were wiped out. Now that's it's very difficult to comprehend. So with Shadows of Shoah, what we've done is we've taken survivor uh, interviews and photography that we've done. And from a one-hour or one-and-a-half-hour interview, we've distilled just 15 to 20 lines where we've presented some poignant incident or excerpt from the survivor's experience. And we've pre- because I've, I'm involved in the arts, we've presented it with black-and-white photography and original music in a very unique uh, environment presentation. And quite consistently, quite consistently, we get the reaction that people are deeply moved by the work. No one denies that the issue of anti-Semitism is a huge one. And uh, getting this far away from World War II, uh, this far away from, uh, historically, from Adolf Hitler, some people might be assuming that somehow or other that 
uh, those atrocities that were committed under the Nazi regime, well, that happened then and everything was okay afterwards. Uh, just reflect on just how significant it is that within this century, uh, since the Holocaust, uh, how have you reflected on the development of the way people have actually perceived the Jewish people? You're making a very good point. People refer to the Holocaust as some sort of historical anomaly. It was not an historical anomaly. It was merely the worst manifestation of something that has been boiling and simmering for centuries. So what really happened is that when you get, when you get uh, all these ideologies that were involved, theological anti-Semitism, Darwinianism, these ancient hatreds, they were combined with a German efficiency that got the job done. I'm sorry to put it in such stark terms. But to go on from that period, anti-Semitism may have quietened down somewhat after World War II. But now in Europe, Jewish people in numerous cities are afraid to walk on the streets wearing Jewish symbols, the yamoka or kippah or talit and so on, because they know that they will be attacked. It's quite frightening that we've reached levels of anti-Semitism in Europe now that we've not seen since the 1930s. Cherie, you've been involved in a whole lot of advocacy for the Jewish people. Uh, describe your uh, work and the sorts of things that you get involved in, uh, conversations or uh, levels of you know, diplomatic meetings and those sorts of things. Describe for us uh, how your involvement has evolved. Uh, well, I've been involved uh, since 2014 when we had the Gaza conflict. Uh, it was quite shocking for the Jewish community in New Zealand because there was such a backlash towards Jews and towards Israel. And in New Zealand, uh, the Jewish community is very small and they haven't really had a very loud voice in standing up for themselves. So since then, uh, there have been a number of initiatives to, um, to raise a voice and stand with Israel. And so I've been involved in a group called Shalom Kiwi. We have a website. It's only been going a year. And we try to write articles uh, that addresses particularly things that come up in the media in the New Zealand context, and uh, we try to bring a balance to what is presented in the media. So what, uh, what, what I've found is that the anti-Semitism that we're seeing, it's virulent, it's active, a lot of it is driven by social media, and a lot of it is seen on social media. And it's connected to uh, the anti-Israel sentiment, the anti-Zionist sentiment, which is very strong. And that has two arms to it, really. It's, it comes from uh, the sort of Islamic hatred towards Israel and the, the hatred of the left towards Israel, and they combine and come together. And it's a very strong movement worldwide, particularly when you've got organisations like the UN, for example, who are quite powerful, and some of the... Um, arms of the UN are very biased against Israel because of the structure of the organisations like the United Nations, uh, like the UN um, Human Rights Council, for example. And just structurally, the, you have a whole block of Islamic states and Arab, Arab, Arabic states who are able to pass resolutions and vastly outnumber the one small Jewish state. And so this is all combining to contribute to uh, quite a strong 
anti-Semitic um, outpouring. Come back to you, Perry, as Cherie reflects on the hatred that comes from Islam uh, and these other uh, things that are going on politically around the world. Uh, these things are not just theological, are they? There are a whole lot of factors involved in the way that people think about Jewish people. But the Jewish people are unique and they are special. And uh, if you don't think that they are unique and you are special, well, then you're likely to get caught up into this other stream of thinking, aren't you? That's, how do you uh, describe, you know, context-wise, how the thinking gets distorted and uh, what's happening today? You're raising some very good points. Now, I'm a believer. I'm broadly an evangelical Christian. And so I have come to this issue from that perspective. But now that I'm so deeply involved in this perspective, I would say that even if I were not a believer, I would still stand with Israel on all sorts of other grounds, uh, historical, moral, and, and so on, archaeological. I mean, we could talk for hours about each of those issues as regards, for example, the recent UNESCO resolution that denied the Jewish connection to Jerusalem, that historical connection. Now, how bizarre is that? Here we're dealing with a city uh, that has a, his a history in regard to the Jewish people that goes back at least 3,000 years and is documented and has archaeological evidence. Uh, but coming back to my view of these things as, uh, as a Christian, it would seem to me that there is a uniqueness about the Jewish people that ought to be uh, beyond dispute if, if we are to base our views upon the Scriptures. And we ought to have a unique regard for the Jewish people. Let me say that that does not mean that it's an uncritical support for the state of Israel. My support for the state of Israel may be unconditional, but it's not uncritical for all sorts of things that I wish Israel would do differently. But when we look at the Scriptures, surely the centrality of the Jewish people, the land of Israel, God's covenant promises to those people, that people group, it ought to be clear to everyone who has a high regard for the Scriptures. Let me ask you about historical revisionism, this idea of rewriting the history in the ideology that you might hold. Uh, it seems to me that this is very much a part of what fuels modern anti-Semitism because there are people who have, uh, from one extreme, been deniers that the Holocaust even happened. Uh, and then there are those who are sort of somewhere in the mix that don't really know and who are guided by a lot of the propaganda that's being distributed around the world. But a lot of that propaganda, I guess, is based on uh, the idea that people have tried to revise history uh, to uh, to look at Israel in a bad light. Uh, what are your thoughts on the way that, uh, that uh, history has been revised and people are rewriting it in their own image? Yes, it's interesting that people seem determined to minimise the Holocaust, if not outright uh, deny it. I might pass this over to Cherie because she's been doing some reading and, and study on this issue. Yes, well, history is uh, it, it's a big issue. And, and you're right, um, the history of Israel-Palestine is political. Uh, every word that you use is political. Even Palestine is a Palestine. You know, a lot of people will say there are no Palestinians, and this this whole area is um, it is a big part of the delegit delegitimize 
delegitimization. <laughs> Got it. Got it out. <laughs> of Israel is is rewriting history, uh, and it's interesting. I'm I'm sort of gathering my thoughts here because I'm a history student. I don't know if I've mentioned it, but I'm doing a PhD in history at the moment, so I have thought a lot about the historical issue. And uh, what what we discover is that narratives uh, are written and rewritten and they have oftentimes political ends. And the Palestinians have been very good at at rewriting the narrative. And uh, the thing with the rewriting of Palestinian history is that it's not actually based on uh, primary source material because they don't have primary source material. It's really um, very skillfully done, but it's not based on evidence. And this is something to bear in mind when you're doing research on the history is look at the sources, look at the evidence, uh, where is it coming from? Uh, So... It is a big part of um, what is going on today, and it's being used politically. And the thing is that um, people will latch on to a UN report or what somebody has said, and it it gets repeated. Slogans get repeated over and over again, and uh, they're used as political weapons, but they're not based on evidence. Wow, what an amazing insight that history is often rewritten and not based on primary source evidence. And absolutely, as you say, uh, Cherie, where there is no primary source evidence, you have to rely on personal emotions and political ends. And and, uh, and that sort of thing just seeps through into all of the media that we seem to consume in the mainstream media. And while you might be thinking, didn't the Holocaust happen in the 20th century and that doesn't happen today? Uh, Well, think again. There are serious issues that are going on around the world and it's good to keep account uh, of our own thoughts here as Australian Christian believers. Uh, Perry and Cherie Trotter are with us. Uh, Let me just ask you, I'll come to Cherie on a particular uh, issue uh, when it comes to the Holocaust, because we mentioned in the in the last segment uh, that some people have a denial idea of the Holocaust. It never really happened, or if it did, it wasn't that serious. But Cherie, in the while the news is on, you you mentioned something very significant about the idea of there being a soft Holocaust denial, and this is something we all need to be on guard about. Yes, that that's right. Uh, soft Holocaust denial is an idea uh, that Deborah Lipstadt developed. She's a historian, and uh, there's a very recent movie coming out on her called Denial, where she dealt with the uh, David Irv- Irving case. And she's developed this uh, definition for ho- soft Holocaust denial that it's the exploitation of the Holocaust to attack Israel and its supporters, as well as trivialization of the Holocaust uh, to serve political ends and it's expressed most frequently through the obstruction of Holocaust memorialization and actually this is something that even today we had to deal with on our Facebook page. Uh, We had a woman make comments about remembering the Holocaust and then saying but what about the Palestinians in Israel and this is the exact thing that uh, Deborah Lipstadt is talking about with soft Holocaust denial, and um, the false. This is a false 
analogy that's being made between Nazism and Zionism, and uh, both of these things normalise anti-Semitic attitudes. We are taking calls. You might like to contribute to our conversation. 1-800-316-316. 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Chris in Victoria. Hi, Chris. Welcome along. Good day, Neil. Um, and to the guests, yeah, I just want to, you know, in uh, the church, the anti-Semitism in the past was replacement theology, but a more insidious thing is coming through now, and I think, They'll be aware of it, as well as Holocaust denial. It's uh, Christian Palestinianism, and you know, uh, this Christ at the checkpoint and Sabil and all that sort of stuff. And uh, you know, it's being introduced by sort of well-known pastors here. And uh, the church has got to be uh, really aware of that. And you know, know what God's word says: um, if you welcome these men into your church, you share in their evil deeds. And you know, um, as you know, also Palestine. It, it just was a name given by the Romans. There's no such thing as Palestine. Uh, these people are actually the Philistines, which Goliath came from. And as you know, Goliath goes down and David always wins. Okay. Well, Chris, let's get some thoughts uh, from Perry. Perry, uh, important things that Chris was saying and perhaps uh, some things too you might like to comment on. Thanks for raising that, Chris. The issue that you raise concerning Christian Palestinianism is something that I'm deeply concerned with. I've done a lot of reading, writing, and study on that issue, and I've presented the work that I have done, or some of it, at, at evangelicalzionism.com. There you'll find a series of uh, seven short films that we shot in Jerusalem last year, evangelicalzionism.com. Now, you mentioned the Christ at the Checkpoint Conference. Now, that is, shall we say, the centerpiece, the flagship gathering of that movement of what is, has become Christian Palestinianism. Now, that term Christian Palestinianism was coined by Dr. Paul Wilkinson, who's a, uh, a scholar in England who has studied this in great depth. And it's, it's a serious, serious problem. Now, I could talk for a long time about this. I'm just trying to gather my thoughts as to what to mention. Let me just step back in terms of my own experience. When I became a Christian in the 70s, I... Uh, I found myself in a Christian culture that was basically very warm towards the Jewish people. It had a default position of favor towards Israel and the Jewish people. Now, I don't think it was particularly well thought through. I don't think it was particularly well grounded theologically, but it was favorable. Now, here we are in the 21st century, and I have to say that within my own Christian community in New Zealand, that is no longer the default position. If anything, it has reversed to where the Jews are treated with suspicion. There isn't that default position of support for the Jewish people. And in fact, I can tell you this, that uh, as about 2001, 2000, a uh, major uh, ostensibly evangelical institution in New Zealand published a magazine referring to Jesus as a Palestinian under occupation. So that's how far it has gone. And that has changed, basically, in a generation. So the problem you've raised is a serious problem. And believers who support the Jewish people and in Israel for all the right reasons, and I would suggest that our reasons should primarily be based in the Scriptures and what the God of Israel has said about the Jewish people, we need to be alert and we need to stand against these things. Chris from Victoria, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. Our talkback line remains open on 1-800-316-316. 
you can join us. You might have your own insight to offer. You might have a question to ask. Uh, let me ask you, Cherie, as Perry starts to uh, talk about uh, this whole idea of suspicion, uh, this is a part of, I guess, the, the symptom, how you can actually make a self-assessment of, uh, of whether you think Israel is legitimate, uh, is, you know, God's people. Uh, it's this own, your own sort of uh, idea about how you can think about your own thoughts about Israel and whether you are suspicious or not. How big a, a deal is this idea of having suspicion about uh, the Jewish people? Yeah, well, that's kind of a shocking thought, really, to, to have... Uh, that sort of attitude and there are a number of ways of approaching the issue of Israel and as as believers you know we base it on the scripture and and that is good but even aside from that when you look at the formation of the state of Israel uh, there's every reason to be comfortable and confident about um, the state of Israel we've talked about the rewriting of history and part of what is being rewritten is this idea that somehow the birth of Israel was the original sin. You know, this is behind a lot of the uh, anti-Israel sentiment today. But when you look at the um, process that Israel went through, even going back to the 19th century and the Aliyah, the immigration of Jewish people back to Israel, you know, it, that came out of anti-Semitism. That came out of the pogroms in Russia in the 19th century and in the early 20th century. And then we had the anti-Semitism of Nazi Germany happening in the 1930s. And then we had uh, World War II and the Holocaust. But So over that period, we had these waves of immigrants, uh, of Jews going back to the land. And part of that was a very dynamic movement of Zionism, of rebuilding the land, which was a wasteland in the 19th century. And so there was this vision of building, of returning to Zion, rebuilding the land, and um, and the Jewish people brought all of their uh, energy, their enthusiasm, their skill, uh, and it was tough. You know, many died on the way. Um, the, there were swamps of where they... They caught malaria, and so it was a difficult process. There was that happening on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, there was the increasing anti-Semitism, which led um, to the Holocaust. And then following the Holocaust, the doors of the world closed um, to the Jews, returning not only returning to Israel, but being accepted by the worldwide community. And out of that process came the UN, came this international body, it was uh, established to stand for the rights of minorities. It really came as a result of what happened to the Jews in the Holocaust. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, wrong ideas about how Israel was formed. Some people say that it was an imperial uh, move by Britain. Well, at that time, Britain was actually opposing the return of the Jews um, because of their conflict of interest uh, between the Jews and the Arabs. So what I'm saying, I'm sorry this is a long answer, but what I'm saying is that when you actually look at what happened over that period, there's every reason to feel confident that the state of Israel was, was a just thing. And it was a necessary thing because the Jews needed a home. Let's move to a theological idea about the people of Israel. Because in and somebody's mentioned, uh, and it was Chris in his call, he said, uh, you know, there's something that's replaced this idea of replacement theology because there was no Jewish state before 1948. 
And uh, there is a sense, Perry, in which uh, theologically the church had thought that Israel was gone. Therefore, it must be Christians who've become the replacement as God's people. Uh, How do you understand uh, this theologically when we talk about a rising anti-Semitism today, uh, given the history, given that there was no Jewish state until 1948, but now there is? What has it done to the way we have to think about these things? Well, I would suggest that believers ought to view the Scriptures in terms of the big themes that it presents. And one of the colossal themes that it presents is that God chose Abraham and said to him, I'm going to bring a particular nation from you, and from that nation blessing will come to all the world, and I will give you a particular land. Now that's Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and following. But as we see this begin to unfold, we learn from the prophecies of the Hebrew Scriptures that the Jewish people would ultimately be thrown out of their own land, but there was always this promise that God would restore them. Now this is not a minor issue. This is not some peripheral issue of theology, as somebody once said to me. No, it is not. It is utterly central. And I would challenge anybody to show me anywhere in the Scriptures where you find a declaration of the God who is presented in the Scriptures that is more emphatic than those promises he made to the Jewish people. Time and time again, he makes these profoundly emphatic promises. In one place, he says, I will plant you in your land with all my heart and soul. This is strong language. Now, the the history of the world, past, present, and future, is laid out in the Scriptures. This is one of the reasons I have such confidence in the Scriptures, because it's a self-authenticating document. We can read, for example, in Ezekiel 37, you know, the famous dry bones chapter. It talks about these people being brought back into their own land. Now, this is history that is being fulfilled before us, these things are actually happening. It's utterly profound to me that these Jewish people who have been scattered throughout the land, throughout the world, have been regathered to their own land. The story's not over, and I do believe there are difficult, difficult times ahead for the Jewish people. But I'm talking to you about the big picture that the scriptures present, and this is why I'm unashamedly a Zionist because I recognize this is one of the major themes of Scripture. Well, I'm very interested in the way you set the context there. You say this is not a peripheral issue. This is not a minor issue. This is actually, when we look at the Bible, a colossal issue. And and as that stream of understanding of what God is doing as he fulfills history actually involves his people, his seed, uh, that is a significant thing. Do you think that somehow or other in our uh, Christianity, and and it's interesting when you talk about evangelical Christianity, evangelical Christianity that has a view of the Bible that says this is you know God's history from the beginning to the end. Uh, some people don't hold so much to uh, that uh, that type of uh, you know literal fulfilment of those things, and they have a more liberal idea. Uh, but it really comes down to our attitude to the Bible as to how we're going to respond to the Jewish people in this sense. Uh, enlarge on us just how high a view of the Bible we need to have to recognize this colossal issue that we are facing. Yes, you've raised many important points. Those who would criticize the position that I'm taking would criticize me for taking the scriptures literally. Now, 
I would say you have to handle the scriptures with great care as regards to genre, context, and so on. However, I do believe that ultimately, if the scriptures are the are inspired by God, I do believe that God has the ability to communicate and that he has done so. That's a reasonable assumption. It is. And, and as such, even the strongest replacementists, the people who are most critical from within the Christian community of the position that I take, acknowledge occasionally that the scriptures really do teach what we're talking about here, that the Jewish people will ultimately be restored to their own land. They acknowledge it says that, but they say that's not what it means. It has been uh, redefined. They People have come to dislike the term replacement theology, particularly with the recent study that's been done that shows the very strong connection and the influence and the role that was played by replacement theology in laying the groundwork for the Holocaust. So people don't like that term anymore. Now they'll talk about fulfillment theology or extension theology and so on. They can call it whatever they want, but the ideas are the same. And ideas have consequences, and even if Christians don't recognize that, those consequences consequences are real. The Jewish people understand that, and that's why people like Augustine and Luther have such a prominent place in Holocaust museums. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. Perry and Cherie Trotter, our guests, we're talking about anti-Semitism, even Australian attitudes towards the Jewish people. We are taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Robin in Mount Morgan. Hello, Robin. Welcome along. Yes, hi. Um, I could speak a long time on this, and it's very hard to put it in a few words, but I I definitely see it as a spiritual thing, just like everything else, because I see truth is under attack. And, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is the truth. And the world trend seems to be toward any, uh, to fight against anything that is representative of God. And, um, I mean, I left a church. Um, I, I sensed that they were a replacement um, ideology. But then I drew the line when I tried to say they were, they were um, in cahoots with a, a mosque. Not, not really, but, I mean, they were taking invitations to visit this mosque and everything. And when I when I just spoke up against the danger of Islam, I'm not talking about the people, I'm talking about the religion that's very, very dangerous, um, they got angry with me and they actually persecuted me and so I left. And I, I just I just um, worry. You know, the, in, in Islam, takia, they don't honour truth. They've got a word that covers everything, takia. So if they are doing it for the cause of Allah, they can lie, cheat, steal, or murder. And that's what they're doing. And um, the, the church in Germany was complicit, and this is the problem today. And it's, it is shaping up, unfortunately, in, Robin, in a similar way. great thoughts. Uh, appreciate you calling in today on 2020. Uh, time for one more call very quickly. Uh, Graham from Tasmania. Graham, you need to be very quick. What are your thoughts? Hello. Uh, Psalms... 83. Do you know that psalm? It talks about the Middle East nations who actually want to throw over Israel and want to do away with it totally. And uh, so that's my what I'm putting in for the day. 
Uh, thank you so much for that, Graham. And uh, it just illustrates, doesn't it, that uh, the overthrow of Israel is not something that's new. Uh, this has been going on for centuries, for millennia. We've got to uh, just draw things to a close in a few moments, but uh, Perry and Cherie Trotter are our guests. Uh, let me ask you uh, quickly, Perry, uh, you've got your uh, your special exhibition, uh, The Shadow of Shoah and uh, The River of Tears. It's going to be on the Gold Coast in Queensland this weekend. Uh, people can make an appointment to come and see it. You can't just sort of roll up off the street. Uh, what will people see when they come and see the exhibition? River of Tears is our latest work, and it's been developed uh, for our visit to Australia. We hope that it will be touring throughout the country. Uh, River of Tears, if you want to make a booking to view it, the, probably the easiest way to find it online is riveroftears.net riveroftears.net, or you can find it via our, our site, shadowsofshoah.com. Uh, we've taken the work that we've already done with the Shadows of Shoah exhibition, which has been touring New Zealand for about three years now, was opened by our Prime Minister in, in 2013. We've taken the, the uh, stories, the three-minute stories, and we've enhanced it further. And so we've combined a number of effects and issues uh, in the way that we've presented this material. So uh, River of Tears takes its title from the text from Lamentations, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let your tears flow like a river day and night. So we use ultra-high definition projection onto a large screen that looks like a wall. Bricks in the wall move. Water literally flows down the screen. Haze fills the room. You have audio. You have the sound of trains. It's a very multi, multi-dimensional, immersive experience. And you tell the stories of 52 Holocaust survivors. Uh, those are ones that you've met personally. Yes, we've photographed and uh, interviewed 52 survivors. Eight stories will be told in this exhibition and we'll be including some of the stories that we've captured here in Queensland. So for listeners who are in the southeast Queensland region, uh, you might like to go along and see that exhibition. It's on this weekend on the Gold Coast in Queensland. And as Perry mentions, uh, the website where you can find out how to register to be a part of that event, because it's not just something that the public can roll up to. Uh, you can register to go along and see it. It's called uh, riveroftears.net. That's the website where you can find out the details of how you can be in touch, how you can register, how you can go along and see uh, the exhibition, which uh, I'm told is uh, a very emotional and moving opportunity to understand more deeply and sensitively uh, the stories of those Holocaust survivors. Uh, to you, Perry, and to Cherie Trotter, uh, great having you in today as guests uh, on 2020 and uh, some wonderful things that you've been able to share with us. Thank you to both of you. for. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.